Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. Hello and welcome to the Arrowhead Addict Podcast Super Bowl Edition. Yeah, look, no Burrowhead here, no jabronis hanging out here. Unfortunately, we don't have any Kelsey brothers left either. I'm not sure how often they procreated, but we don't have them. However, what we do have is a very special guest, uh, Jeffrey Knox from Inside the Eagles, ITI, our sister site on the fan side of the network, covering the Eagles. Jeffrey, you've been covering the Eagles for a long time, right? It's been quite some time now. I actually lose count of how much time it's been, man. Every time somebody asks me this, I remember to think and look next time. So the next time I'm asked, I can remember how long it's been. But it's somewhere in the area of about 15 to 16 years, and I've been in the fan side of the network for about five to six. But that's somewhere around the range of how long I've been here. I'm not exactly sure of the exact dates, times, and hires. <laughs> All right. Well, we're, we're thrilled to have you here. Um, if you're just joining us for the podcast, my name is Matt Connor. Uh, we're here with Sterling Holmes, as always. Feeling a little bit under the weather. Sterling, you doing all right, man? Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, celebrated too hard, I guess. Nothing a few KC beers can't fix. <laughs> right on. Why don't you give a shout to our sponsors since we're already halfway there? Yeah, speaking of KC Beer, KC Beer Co., we talk about it every week, and it's true. They brew the best beer using only four ingredients based on the Bavarian Beer Purity Law of 1516. The Era Red Lager was a massive success thanks to you guys. They ran out of six packs in, what was it, a week? It was incredible. Uh, last time I checked, they still had Era Red Lager on tap. Get down to the beer hall, pick some up, get a bratwurst, get some potato salad, get some beer, and have a party. Casey Beerco, make sure you guys try and find the red cartons in the Kansas and Missouri area. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Casey Beerco, dare to beer different. Love it. Love it. Um, well, not, uh, you know, normally we are ecstatic anyway, because we're talking about our Super Bowl, like, I was going to say Super Bowl winning Chiefs, but I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, hey, here, hey, especially, hey, in, hey. <laughs> especially in front of our guests. But look, there were so many amazing storylines in this AFC championship game. The Chiefs took care of business. Then here we are today. 
Uh, folks, we got a lot to talk about, but we have a special guest in case you didn't know. We're here with Jeffrey and and we're doing a little bit of a Super Bowl preview today. All next week, our schedule is going to be kind of crazy. Matt Verderam is going to be like on site at the Super Bowl doing some broadcasts there. We've got a whole different slate of things going on here. So this week, we wanted to get together with Jeffrey to really go over what's going to be an epic preview. Number one seed versus number one seed. Two people who were mainly in the running for MVP all year. Uh, there are just some great storylines around this Super Bowl. And so we were like, let's pull in our friend Jeffrey. Let's let's make this happen. And he was so kind enough to agree to, to hang out with us today. Jeffrey, just want to get your take, first of all, because you're on a Chiefs podcast. Did you watch the AFC Championship? And what were you expecting between the Bengals and the Chiefs and, and how that all played out? Tune in a little late. I was still celebrating. We were watching some coordination going on on our end of the broadcast and things of that <laughs> nature. We were watching our return trip, uh, second time in five years. Very happy about that. Yeah. I almost forgot there was an AFC Championship game for a little while. But then once I remembered, I tuned in. It was somewhere around the second quarter. To answer your question, pretty much what we expected to see. Um, regardless of what Cincinnati was saying, you're the upstarts. You're the guys who have made the Super Bowl last year. You got a lucky punch in there on the Kansas City Chiefs. You made it to the Super Bowl. Let's take our wins where we can get them. This is Cincinnati. You're the only Northern team without an indoor facility. Remember who we are. Your airport's in Kentucky. <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs, a little bit more history here. Andy Reid, who we watched develop into what he's become, a Hall of Famer. Um, kind of pains me that he won't go into the Hall of Fame as a Philadelphia Eagle, but I had the utmost confidence in Andy Reid. Typically, when it comes down to um, determining who's going to be the winner of the game, wagering, things of that nature, I typically go with where they're playing. I typically go with conditions. I look at coach versus coach. Um, I like Andy Reid a whole lot more than I like Zach Taylor. And I typically look at quarterbacks and then an individual matchup. So everywhere I was looking, even with a um, injured Patrick Mahomes, I thought he was a little bit slightly ahead of where Joe Burrow is. No disrespect to Joe Burrow, but second time around with the remembrance of what happened close to 365 days ago with that upset win that actually catapulted Cincinnati to Super Bowl 56, I was pretty much in the uh, – determination that this was going to be a revenge game and hey credit to the chiefs they did what they were supposed to do yeah yeah well we have a lot to talk about here in terms of the matchup but coming from your having your perspective here on the show today i really would love our listeners and viewers to get a much better insider sense of the eagles because there's a i think there's a lot of narratives and you're you're well aware of them that are pretty easily thrown around that are that are pretty dismissive of a team that's as successful as they are um, in terms of like maybe some of the competition, whatnot. And I want to get into that too, but overall too, some of the makeup of the team, like as an outsider here watching what they did, it's so rare that a team hits on so many of their signing. Like it was just such a smart off season last year. Were you expecting, I guess, what were you expecting preseason compared to what you're now writing and, and reporting about now? Preseason, um, not too far off from where we are now, to be honest with you. Uh, the first, okay. as soon as the roster was introduced and as soon as um, before we were talking about James Bradbury and some late additions we made, uh, one of the first things I did was I looked at the schedule and I did what everybody else does when they see a schedule. They pull it out, they structure it, and they start putting little W's and L's next to what's supposed to happen. So I was somewhere around the area of like 12 to 13 wins, but I did think that even though I saw a jump coming from Jalen Hurst, I didn't expect the type of jump that we actually ended up seeing. Uh, the ceiling for me at that time was somewhere around, you know, maybe a loss in the NFC Championship game. 
thought maybe we would be good enough to possibly win that first round by and get it and get a week off. Wasn't quite sure. So I played with the second best scenario. us getting the wild card. So wild card. I looked at some of the teams also that I saw making it. Saw the National Football Conference as a very weak conference as opposed to what's going on in the AFC. So um, I thought all that played in our favor. Again, I expected a, a huge leap from Jalen Hurts. And after seeing this team get to the wild card, regardless of the fact that it didn't end the way that we'd like to see it end, I thought that was good experience for the team and um, significant enough to give them some push to actually, you know, create some momentum this time around. So I'll take the fact that I was wrong. I'll take 14 wins. <laughs> Probably could have easily been 15. I'll take a Super Bowl appearance. I'll take that. I, I enjoy being wrong. And I personally owe Harry Roseman an apology because I was the first one on the Let's Fire Howie train. Oh, man. This is the match between the two best GMs in football. Howie Roseman has done a phenomenal job. Brett Veach, we know how good of a job he's done, especially in the draft, going and realizing he has to get rid of and trade Tyreek Hill. You have to get rid of not bring back Tyron Matthew. Eventually, you have to turn the roster over. That's what Brett Veach did. Harry Roseman said, no, it's not our time yet. We have a quarterback on a rookie contract. Let's get A.J. Brown. Let's bring Bradbury in. Let's go all in. They did that. Jalen Hurts then took the next step. Obviously, we know how great Andy Reid is. We know the connection of him in Philly. I was of the proponent that, one, they shouldn't have fired him. Two, they shouldn't have fired Doug Peterson. But now they have Nick Sirianni. The results speak for themselves. How much do you believe in Nick Sirianni? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I believe in Nick Sirianni, and I'll actually go the other way. I think uh, as great as Andy Reid was, there just comes a time every once in a while with every, with every franchise that it's just time for a new voice. It was getting to the point where he had kind of lost the locker room for a little bit. Guys were listening to players. Guys were listening to position coaches and things of that nature. Andy Reid, as great as he was, I thought that, you know, he had he had created a very good roadmap for us as far as success for um, the current times and the ongoing future. But um, love the Doug Peterson hire, maybe not initially. Um, as I started to look a little bit into his background, realizing that, you know, he had had some coaching experience and everything, because everything I knew about Doug Peterson was he was Andy Reid's first quarterback when he came to Philadelphia. <laughs> Once I did a little research and everything, realized that, you know, he was probably a little bit more astute than what I was giving him credit for. Um, showed us some very positive signs in that first season. By the time we get to the second year, we're talking about a Super Bowl win. So I was very proud of him. But again, his voice didn't last the typical 14 years that we saw from Andy Reid, but it kind of had grown stale as well. There was a thing with Carson Wentz, and I was the first person off the Carson Wentz train. I jumped off the wagon early. Um, I didn't see where he had the type of control that he necessarily needed for this team. The players coach kind of came back to haunt him to some degree and um, entered Nick Sirianni. Definitely wasn't a fan of Nick Sirianni at first. I'm like, okay, now we're going backwards here. <laughs> but Nick, ever since that flower speech that confused most of us, Nick has won more than 70% of his games. We've got, we're talking about including that wild card or round loss that we talked about a little bit earlier. We're talking about four losses and quite a nice run since he's made that speech. Players have bought in. Team seems to believe in him. He's authentic. Definitely doesn't drink decaf, but 
The team is bought in. They love him. They're behind him and things of that nature. And the, revol- the results speak for themselves. I mean, he's he's really done a good job. He's done everything he's promised he's going to do. And um, the future looks very bright in Philadelphia. Hey, I, I want to stick on that train for just a minute because you also know Andy Reid, and and we've been talking about that with such a with with all of the experience on the Chiefs coaching staff. And you're not just talking Reid. You're talking like for, like their last two trips to the Super Bowl before this. Every coordinator's back on both sides of the ball, right? Matt Nagy's around at this point. You know, your your uh, special teams coordinator's been here since 2013. So, so everyone's been in the room every time. This is a team that knows their players well. No one here is going to freak out that they're in the big game. No one's going to be distracted by media week or anything else going on. Are, on the Philadelphia side, are you worried about – the new nature of like Sirianni's first time in this role in this environment going against really the most experienced sideline he could probably be coaching against. Actually, no, I thought about that for a little while earlier today, but actually no, like um, the, the, uh, the flip side of knowing Andy Reid for those 14 years is actually, we understand the ills of Andy Reid as well. Um <laughs> And he, you know, if he still has that time management issue, if he still has that thing where he wants to come out and try to air it out against us as opposed to running the ball, which seems to be the formula for actually beating us, um, those things tend not to play in Andy's favor from time to time. Spagnolo, um, you know how free I am to say this. I've never believed in Spagnolo. Like, <laughs> I don't see why y'all can't see what I see. But um, decent, not great. But as far as, like, the veteran leadership we have on this team and things of that nature, we have, uh, we have a core of guys – uh, being Fletcher Cox, being Brandon Graham, being Jason Kelsey, guys that Andy redrafted. Um, I mentioned that blueprint that he kind of left when he left behind. Harry Rosen is still here and things of that nature. This team is a lot different from the team that actually won it all in 2017. But aside from the coaching that you mentioned and everything, not a lot of guys on that Chiefs roster with a whole lot of championship experience either. So I think everything kind of takes care of itself. And um, before we even get into predictions, I just go ahead and kind of throw mine out there. I believe the, the Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles at their best are actually better than the Kansas City Chiefs at their best. So I think that plays in our favor. I think maybe with the exception of quarterback, I look around the roster and I'm like, you know, we met, we, we're pretty good here. You know, <laughs> we match up pretty well in the, as opposed to all the uh, important lineups and matchups and things of that nature. Um, if you take it from a position-by-position position standpoint, I think every position we're either right there or slightly better. So um, I think it's going to be a tough matchup. And I do think the Philadelphia Eagles come out on top. Okay. I want to get into some Jalen Hurts talk right now, then. Let's do that. Because I, I do think the Eagles have a phenomenal roster. The entire offseason, I was praising Howie Roseman. think they have a complete roster, if you will. There's not a whole bunch of weak points. Jalen Hurts is a very good quarterback, a damn good quarterback. He's not Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes is up here. Jalen Hurts is great. But it's such a, a separation between those two, and it's at the most important position. We've seen time and time again – Mahomes drag his team to victory time and time again. We saw on one leg, Jalen Hurts has not done this very often. I can't think of a time this year where Jalen Hurts was the main reason they won a game, the main reason they came back. I can think of three, four, or five where Mahomes has done that. Is that a big deal to you? I go the other way. I'd say maybe the reason they won in Houston, maybe the reason they won in Indy kind of brought them out of some doldrums at the beginning of the Chicago Bears game, which kind of created some momentum that carried to the finish line. We've actually seen what this team looks like without Jalen Hurts. Didn't look very good. I don't believe that the uh, a Philadelphia Eagles offense led by Jalen Hurts versus the New Orleans Saints comes out on the losing end of that ball game. So, and then we get into like conversations about, you know, 
strength of schedule and who they played and opponents and so on and so forth and everything. The reason this this false narrative exists that the Philadelphia Eagles haven't played anybody is because they're so athletically and skilled as far as like superiority as far as towards everybody else. This is just a better team than everybody else. And being the better team on the on the field nine times out of ten typically leads to blowout wins, typically leads to things of that nature. But I don't, though we have not seen it necessarily because maybe sometimes we're talking about blowouts doesn't mean that the the personality trait or the ability doesn't exist. Um, again, but I would credit him as far as like putting the team on his back as far as the Indianapolis Colts game. Um, I think we saw some of that in not necessarily in desperate moments towards ends of games, but in desperate moments during the course of the game and experiencing some adversity and everything. It's, look, it's usually Jalen Hurts that they look to as far as like offense and whether it's a play with his legs, something we're not expecting, um, some kind of pass that he pulls out that we didn't really know he was capable of. He's he's done that more often than he gets credit for. So I think he's uh, definitely, as you say, probably not on the level of Patrick Mahomes yet, but who is? Let's be honest with you. Fair point. <laughs> I mean, that was about maybe Burrow, maybe three or four guys here, but quarterback position is a tough position to play, man. Like, that's why they draft six every year. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but I think, um, I think, I think it's going to be a tough matchup. And the one concern I do have is health, as far as that shoulder injury that he had and things of that nature. We knew, regardless of what they were saying, just based off of common sense and things we could look up on the internet, that shoulder's not going to be 100% healthy by the time we actually got through an eight-week span. And that shoulder wasn't going to be healthy by the time we got to Super Bowl 57 if we qualified. So seeing him shot put a couple in the NFC Championship game kind of kind of has me worried to some extent. <laughs> the Phillip um, Rivers. It's, it's the Phillip Rivers motion right there. <laughs> yeah. And I've actually seen him miss uh, A.J. Brown on a couple of deep balls two weeks in a row, which both mm-hmm. should have probably been touchdowns and things of that nature. So let's hope the, uh, I guess, the bye week, um, we'll be watching a little flag football during the Pro Bowl games, <laughs> things of that nature. Maybe that gives them time to heal and stuff, but I think it'll be fine by the time we get to championship Sunday. I want to talk about health and and because both sides are, are banged up, and I want to go through some of those injuries just so people know what's going on. But before that, we're talking about Jalen Hurts. Earlier you said you thought he'd make a big leap mm-hmm. anyway before the season, and then he makes this kind of a leap. Like what Like what were you expecting? And I, I, I guess I'd love to know like, like what is still in front of him to learn to do and and what this year have you been shocked by like I thought he'd be better I thought he'd be better but I didn't think he'd be able to like what I like my quarterbacks to be grown-ups man I like my quarterbacks to be in the film room I like my quarterback to show up before everybody else shows up and still be at the facility after everybody else leaves I like that I like the leadership qualities and things of that nature I like the fact that he's not on the iPad playing Call of Duty (laughs) <laughs> these are the things that I loved about Jalen Hurts. And these were things that I see in great quarterbacks who just have that it quality, that winner's quality and things of that nature, that mama mentality, if you will, if we're talking about a Philadelphia Eagles reference. Jalen Hurts was just so laser focused and so intent on being great at what he did that I was like, the only thing that could actually stop this guy from succeeding is the mechanical stuff. In the offseason, when I got a guy to help him with throwing motion, things of that nature, during training camp, he's asking the guys on the deep sense side of the ball. We mentioned all these stars he got. You get the benefit of going against a Fletcher Cox and a James Bradbury and a Darius Slay on the other side of the formation and some veterans on the other side of the ball. 
T.J. Edwards, who doesn't get enough credit, you know, he's on the other side of all things of that nature. Um, Jonathan Gannon's received a lot of criticism, most of it unwarranted and things of that nature. He's on the other side of the ball. For this guy to just be hanging out after practice, asking this guy, okay, why did you guys play me this way? What was it that you saw in me that made y'all feel like y'all needed to attack me in this particular fashion? Learning from those things on a week-in, week-out basis and stuff, just um, the championship pedigree. Most of us would probably be happy to just play at one, you know, historic program <laughs> as far as college football is concerned. He's done it at Alabama. He's done it at Oklahoma. And I listen to what other people say about him. So when I hear Lincoln, Lincoln Riley giving these types of endorsements and I hear Nick Saban do the same type of things, I'm like, the only thing that can stop him is mechanical. The, to answer your question at the same time, Matt, the one thing that I was concerned about was fl- throwing motions here and there. There were times the ball came out and I didn't even see the ball spiral. There were times when the ball came out and I was wondering, um, are the feet necessarily set that they're supposed to be and things of that nature? Are we relying too much on the athletic ability? But Again, that just goes back to experience. That goes back to learning. That goes back to things of that nature with his work ethic, um, with the fact that we actually have a grown-up playing the quarterback position, not a Carson Wentz. (laughs) (laughs) I I literally believed in him more than I saw, than I believed in Carson Wentz because Carson Wentz didn't have that mental capacity to succeed. You know what I'm saying? Carson Wentz didn't have the mental capacity to succeed and thrive in a place like Philadelphia with the types of demands they have. Carson Wentz is from North Carolina and played – football in South Dakota, well, excuse me, North Dakota. So all he's ever been told is how great he was. Carson Wentz couldn't handle, you can't play. Jalen Hurts has heard, you can't play his whole life. And that chip on his shoulder, the ability, just the work ethic and things of that nature, and just the overall, just the the amount of just time and effort that he put into what he was doing on a day in and day out basis, I was like, okay, we might have something here. And then when I actually saw it translate from practice fields to you know, shorts and things of that nature without the shoulder pads to actual in-game scenarios. I was like, okay, you may have something here. Where do you think Jalen Hurts will try and take advantage of Kansas City? Obviously, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, incredible wide receivers, Dallas Goddard, top five tight end. He should have time with one of the best offensive lines in football. I'm with you. He's grown so much. Jalen Hurts is an easy guy to root for. First and foremost, that's a guy that you just – you rally behind, you root for him, you want to see him succeed. But in this matchup, does he use his legs more? Does he try and go with the deep ball more? Does he try and go to Dallas Goddard over the middle more? What do you see from Jalen Hurts? Yeah, great question, Sterling. Let me just go ahead and say, too, if I get into those modes where I'm just talking too much, you guys just feel free to just come in and slap me and tell me stop. Because once <laughs> I get going, man, sometimes I can go for an hour. I told you, Matt, you made a mistake inviting me to this broadcast. <laughs> but the thing was, man, um, I think with us, it lies in the running game, to be honest with you. Do we necessarily have to rely on Jalen Hurts? I just watched in a game where I was told that a team coming in was going to beat us because they had a Cinderella quarterback um, who I told everybody whose stagecoach was going to turn into a pumpkin and nobody believed me, (laughs) with the number one ranked rushing defense in the entire NFL. I was told that was supposed to stop everything. I told everybody that's not what's going to happen. And what we ended up seeing was 148 yards rushing. Three different guys were involved in this rushing attack. Um, Jalen Hurts, who we typically feel like needs to be the bonus, didn't really have to do necessarily as much as we did. They targeted A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith together a total of eight times. They had six catches between them, and they had 74 yards receiving. And we still put up 31 points. You got the best offensive line in, the, in in football right now. You have a situation where, as I mentioned Andy Reid earlier, Andy Reid has that tendency to get pass happy. 
we do the exact same thing. We tend to want to attack through the air, try to showcase Jalen, try to do things to show everybody that Jalen Hurts is the MVP of the league. A lot of our offense seems to become our defense for things that have been said about us. <laughs> if you if you ignore those components of what people are saying and just do with what works, you got Lane Johnson on the right side. Next to him is Isaac Suamalu. You got a future Hall of Famer, Kelsey, in the middle. Then you got Landon Dickerson, a pro bowler in his second year, and you got a guy that they pulled out of Australia who never played football, didn't know how to put his helmet on, and now he's one of the best young left tackles in the league. Rely on these guys, let these guys be some bullies. Push guys off of the line of scrimmage. I watched Javon Kinlaw last week, man. This same Russian defense that was supposed to stop us from doing anything we wanted to do, I watched him get pushed seven yards into the end zone. (laughs) And Javon Kinlaw can play. We all know that. I watched this team put up four Russian touchdowns, first time we've ever done that in franchise history, and that wasn't supposed to happen against the San Francisco 49ers. The only thing that can actually stop this Eagles offense is the Eagles offensive coaching staff. If Shane Sykin doesn't want to try to prove that Jalen Hurts is the MVP and not Patrick Mahomes and try to force him to throw. Um, you mentioned Dallas Goddard. Dallas Goddard is a nice wild card. Um, I've watched a few of Kansas City's games. I wonder about how their linebackers or safeties are possibly able to like limit him and what he's doing. But I think yeah. the key to victory definitely lies in the run game. It's not pretty. It's not artistic. It's not what a lot of people want to see. They want to see us air it out and things of that nature. But we tend to rely on the run game in emergency situations when the passing game fails and stuff. And it's like, oh, we forgot that we can run the ball too, and then we do it then. Um, if we just come out, steady dose of that and attack, and beat other teams in the way that other teams seem to beat Philadelphia, ball control, things of that nature, 37 minutes against San Francisco, keeping Patrick Mahomes in that unit off the field, I think that's the best defense against him. I think the best offense for us is just bully ball. Just play some attack ball, uh, three three yards in a cloud of dust, and eventually they'll probably pop one. Hey, uh, Jeffrey, you you talked a little bit about this already, but I wanted to address this like you know this main narrative. The the main critique of the Eagles is like, well, who have they played? Like, what yes. quarterbacks have they played? Whatever. And I was hoping you were asking this. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Now, the Chiefs have seen some of this, too, during stretches when they haven't played. Like, late in the season, they played the cupcake part of their schedule, and they were barely beating those opponents. And people were talking about how the Chiefs played down to their competition, right? And there was a whole set of narratives around the Chiefs during that time that Sterling and I would talk about every week. Now that I'm looking at the Eagles, you could say, oh, they're playing. Look at the quarterback situation. They ended up going with, like, when Christian McCaffrey's having them, whatever, you know, then – you got problems or whatever, but I'm looking. I'm looking even in this postseason. They're outscoring their opponents five points to every one scored by their opponents. It's not like they're. It's not like they're barely winning, and you're looking at the quality of competition. Going well, of course. It's like well, if you don't like the quality of competition, they just decimated these opponents in the postseason. In the postseason. In the NFL, where even as Chiefs fans, we've learned, hey, look, it's hard to win week after week after week. So let me just ask you your take on, the, like, the Eagles and who they play and then what you're seeing now at this stage where they're not just, like, winning by a score or two. They're steamrolling their first two opponents. Are they making – like, what kind of statement are they making? Are they making it on purpose – and do you think the Eagles are tired of hearing that themselves? They'll say that they are, but they are. We all are. Um, 
this is where you guys are probably going to have to jump in and like, you know, stop me from time to time. If I start to get a little long winded because topics like this, I'll probably take us to seven o'clock. People tend to subscribe to narratives, even though there may be no evidence of the narrative, just because they hear somebody else say it, because people by nature are sheep. So you're saying that you heard the Philadelphia Eagles don't play anybody because you heard somebody else say that. There is no, no quarterbacks. Quarterbacks. We're being specific here. Not teams. Got quarterbacks. You, you. Quarterbacks. There is wait, some worry wait. there. There is some worry there. Um, historically, we have seen middle tier to slightly above average to superior quarterbacks take severe advantages of what Jonathan Gannon was doing. Now, what I believe is that lies in the fact that Jonathan Gannon didn't necessarily have the horses to do what it is that Jonathan Gannon wanted to do. Now he does have that. Jonathan Gannon has arguably, if not the best, one of the top two cornerback duos in the NFL. He has a slot corner who's transitioned to safety and has done that well. Arguably one of the best young slot corners, if he can stay healthy, that uh, the NFL has in the game right now, things of that nature. Key is if he can stay healthy. The best defensive line in football, 70 sacks. I've never seen that before personally in my life. Um, And I remember the 84 and 85 Bears. I don't remember them getting 80. (laughs) So me personally, I've never seen more than 70. Um, The narrative that – and I wasn't worried about this per se with Kansas City when I heard it about Kansas City. Um, A lot of times what we believe is when teams are supposed to be great, when they have superior quarterbacks, when they have superior talent, when they have, when they have great talent on both sides of the ball, when they're, when they're led by great coaching and things of the nation, we think they're supposed to beat everybody by 30. And we forget, even if we're playing the Houston Texans, they got NFL guys too. If you're playing a team in the AFC and you're an NFC team, you only see this team once every four years. There's no familiarity there and things of that nature. So those things are never taken into account and things of that nature. You have to understand that, um, a lot of times what we end up seeing is narratives are pushed by people. And a lot of times it's just what they're hearing from other people. And that's what they're saying, because nobody sits here and says, well, the new England Patriots benefited by the fact that not only did they have the greatest coach of all time and the greatest quarterback of all time, which would never happen again. They also benefited from the fact that Buffalo and Miami and the Jets all fell on hard times for 20 years. We don't say that we call them a dynasty. (laughs) We don't sit up here and say the Philadelphia Eagles have a nine and one record against teams that have winning records. And that's only the third time that's actually happened in NFL history. The only other two times are 1967 Minnesota Vikings and the 2007 Patriots. This ties the NFL record. And if the Eagles win on February 12th, they'll break that record. We go off of what we've heard. We go off of, well, the San Francisco 49ers have won 12 in a row. We forget that those last five games were Tampa Bay, Seattle, the Washington Commanders, the Las Vegas Raiders, and the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> we don't bring that stuff up. But as soon as it becomes Kansas City, who we expect something from, as soon as it becomes Philadelphia, who we're expecting some, something from, all of a sudden now it's a weak schedule. And in the Chiefs case, I would say it's not the component of playing down the competition. It's the fact that you're getting the best shot of everybody. We seem to act like that doesn't matter in the NFL and even bad teams yeah. have good players. In the Eagles realm, um, it's probably a little bit of, it's probably a little bit of that too, but in the Eagles realm, I tend to subscribe to the theory that there are there are times that we can see this team show signs of greatness and things of that nature, but they're still a young team and they're still learning. They're still learning how to gel and things of that nature. Jalen Hurts still hasn't started 40 games in the NFL yet. So all those things have to be taken into account and things of that nature. We just hear, oh, Brock Purdy is all of a sudden the second coming of Kurt Warner, and that's just what everybody subscribes to because that's what you just keep hearing. 
but it is what it is, man. Um, the the thing that scares me most about the Kansas City Chiefs, and this is just being straight up and honest, is Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes is a difference maker. I'm hoping Patrick Mahomes gets on one of those things where he does from time to time. Where we see the the errors, the we see the um, the arrowhead contention, and we see the Kansas City Chiefs going these long offensive droughts that y'all can have from time to time. Yeah. But again, that's you getting the best shot of the other team's defensive unit. We know. And we knew at the beginning of the season, and we should have stayed in this mindset, even regardless of what happened during the course of the season, the the, the Kansas City Chiefs were going to be fine. Man, I heard you talking about it. <laughs> What's going on with us? <laughs> what are we doing? Things of that nature. They got Andy Reid. They got Patrick Mahomes. They're going to be fine. The Philadelphia Eagles go through some rough spots in the season. They lose to the Washington Commanders. It's a divisional rival that you see two times a year. They know who you are. And this is a team that almost made the playoffs, if Ron Rivera knows what the rule is. <laughs> These are good teams that are experiencing what all good teams will experience for the most part during the course of the NFL season, and that's adversity. Can yeah. the Philadelphia Eagles finally get it done against a superior quarterback? Don't know. But you can also only play the teams that are available to you. We played – we didn't play – we weren't scheduled to play anybody but Daniel Jones twice a year and Taylor Heineke in the first game – well, actually, Taylor Heineke in the second game <laughs> in the first yeah. game. We can Cooper him. Rush once, <laughs> Trevor Lawrence in a monsoon. Uh, right. I mean, Aaron when Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins, no disrespect to iced out Kirk Cousins, I don't believe that was a noon game even. It's okay. not the, the yes, yeah, not the toughest competition. And that's my only my only question. I, I don't think the overall teams you play, because again, the Cowboys had a good team. They had a good defense. There's no denying that. Washington was a solid team. Not great, but they were solid, right? The Giants, they made the playoffs. We're sitting in the AFC West. The Chargers were the only decent team. Raiders were trash, and Broncos were horrendous. It's not like the Chiefs had the toughest schedule that we thought we were going to play going into it. My only question would be, the defense looks great for the Eagles. On paper, they look great as well. Hassan Reddick has been a great pickup. Their cornerbacks, they look good, but they've just not had to be tested by a quarterback like Mahomes, let alone even one of the upper echelon guys. Possibly true, possibly true. But that's, again, it goes back to the original theory that we're making and the point that we're making and stuff. How many elite quarterbacks are there in the NFL, really, for real? No, 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 not Dak. But we'll, we'll say Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow. Um, I will throw I will throw Jalen Hurts. He's, he's close to there. I will say Justin Herbert is close to there, just based on the talent level. Um, is Aaron Rodgers still in there? I don't know if he's there. He wasn't there this year. I don't think he was there. Probably not. And and check it out what just happened. Like before you even got to Aaron Rodgers, four of the five games you named were in the NFC. Or, excuse me, in the AFC. Yeah. <laughs> the only NFC quarterback you actually named was actually Jalen Hurts and things of that nature. Yeah. That stuff matters and things of that nature. Like uh, I wish we would have had a test so we can actually sit here and make, you know, those types of comparisons and things of that nature. We didn't, but – um, I'm gonna go ahead and beat ourselves on the chest a little bit and kind of thwart some of these theories about we didn't we didn't play anybody theory and things of that nature. It's look at the NFC's bracket, man. The seventh, the the fourth seed was a team that didn't have a 500 record with a Hall of Fame quarterback. <laughs> who, if we just relied on record alone, this team would not have been playing. That's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You got the Dallas Cowboys over there. You already know what I just said about Dak Prescott. <laughs> Your third and your sixth seed was you. So your your second and your excuse me your sixth seed ends up being the no excuse me the second and the seventh. That's how it's broken up now, right? Yeah. So your second yeah. and your seventh team ends up being the San Francisco 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks. 
let's just say the Seattle Seahawks beat the San Francisco 49ers some kind of way and they get to Philadelphia, and Philadelphia beats the Seattle Seahawks. We're still saying they still haven't played anybody. <laughs> if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the Dallas Cowboys, which many were saying they were going to do, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers come to Philadelphia, and Philadelphia beats the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, even if they have Tom Brady, the narrative is, well, they were supposed to beat them. <laughs> they yeah. should have been there anyway. The only team that would have given anybody any type of satisfaction was beating the Dallas Cowboys with a team that, you know, we argue whether or not they're elite or not. We argue not whether or not they're even good. We argue not whether or not their quarterback can play. But if we beat the Dallas Cowboys, all of a sudden now there's some some validation to what we have done over the course of the season. <laughs> if we beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that is not. If the Giants survived the fraud bowl against the Minnesota Vikings and they found their way to Philadelphia and, they, and we beat them, we still haven't beaten anybody. And then when we get to the San Francisco 49ers, they lose – the they lose Cinderella, whose pumpkin, whose stagecoach was going to turn into a pumpkin anyway. We lose Cinderella. We lose. We beat Cinderella. Cinderella gets hurt, and all of a sudden, there's no validation in that either because Brock Purdy didn't really play. We're arguing about Brock Purdy now. What about those 31 points that got laced on you guys? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the fact that the reason you don't have Brock Purdy is because the the the, the offensive offensive and systematic genius that's supposed to be Kyle Shanahan decides I got an idea I'm gonna put a tight end on the right side of the formation and I'm gonna block <laughs> ready with him. <laughs> that's why your quarterback is there. And I'm not going to apologize for any type of win. I do realize that some wins are built differently. I do realize that there's a difference between beating the Kansas City Chiefs and beating the Indianapolis Colts regardless of how the games play out. But I also realize that when we sit here and we talk about just individual wins and losses on a week-in, week-out basis and things of that nature, and you're talking about the Philadelphia Eagles, this is a superior football team. This is a good football team. And even if we are playing, quote-unquote, lower, lower-talented lower teams and teams on the bottom end of the spectrum and things of that nature, the win still means something. It still means something to beat San Francisco. It still means something to beat these teams. I'm very satisfied with what this team has done this year, man. But, again, it's that narrative. You heard them say they haven't played anybody, so that's what you're saying and everything. But you told me before the Giants game that we were playing somebody now because the Giants had heated up. <laughs> they got one of the potential coaches of the year but who, for some reason, is the coach of the year, and he finished third in his division. <laughs> Nick Sirianni wins the division. He's not coaching the material. But Brian Dayball, who finished third in the division, is. We beat, we beat the Minnesota Vikings and things of that nature. They're a playoff team. I can't control how well the Green Bay Packers play. I can't make the Detroit Lions be better and give the Green Bay Packers or the Minnesota Vikings more competition. The only guys you can play is the guys in their bracket. And when you're judging brackets, the NFC bracket is obviously – was an easier ride, I'm going to go ahead and say it, than what we saw in the AFC. You guys had more of the juggernaut things of that nature, but it's not our fault that Minnesota didn't take care of business against the the New York Giants and send the Dallas Cowboys to us. We wanted Dallas. Yeah. You never apologize for losing. End of the day, you made it there. What do you want them to do? Lose. They took care of business. They did it convincingly. That is what you're supposed to do. Before I throw it to you, Matt, let's hit the BetMGM read. Again, guys, I apologize. I'm slightly sick, so I'm going to try and get this as quick as possible. Might not be as fast as normal, but I will try. We're passing along a new promo for new BetMGM customers for the conference championships and the Super Bowl for all legal betting states. Use code Arrowhead for a risk-free bet up to $1,000. Using promo code Arrowhead is a great way to support Arrowhead Act. We get a small fee from BetMGM for each new better that uses our code. So if you don't yet have a BetMGM account, 
Do us a solid and sign up with code Arrowhead and place that bet. New customers only 21 plus and present in select states. Rewards issued as non withdrawable free bets or site credits. Free bets expire in seven days from issuance. See full terms at betengaming.com. Gambling problem? Call text 1 800 Gambler. Illinois, Indiana, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming. 1 800 522 4700 Colorado, Kansas. 8778 Hope NY or text Hope NY New York. 1 800 Next Step Arizona. 888 789 777. Connecticut, 1-800-BETS-OFF, Iowa, 1-877-770-STOP, 7867, Louisiana, call text, Tennessee, Redline, 1-800-889-9789, Tennessee, or 1-888-532-3500, Virginia. Great job, man. That's good. That's good. That's why I make him do it. That was impressive. Did. Thank you. It was tough. Yeah. It's really hard. I'm congested right now. That, that was not my record. I had I, I set a record last time. But you got the job done, man. I've learned two things today. I need to go to BetMGM and use the code word Arrowhead, and I need to figure out where the KC Beer Company is. That's what I learned. Those are the two notes I took tonight. Nice. nice. Hey, I want to talk about the trenches here, right? Mm -hmm. There's a maxim, the game is won and lost in the trenches. Um, And when I look at the Eagles, this to me is where I – like if I'm looking at this matchup, normally when I look at the Chiefs offensive line, I'm really not worried about much of anyone coming at them. And lately the defensive line has looked good. But when I look at this Eagles matchup, this is where things really get kind of dicey for me, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you already mentioned 70 sacks on the season. You got four guys with double-digit sacks, 11 or more on that team. And that doesn't include Fletcher Cox, by the way, right, who had seven, something like that. So you got guys like the, the, the front itself can get it done. Um, it's just a tremendously talented group. They're obviously well-coached. They've gotten it done consistently all season. And then the same thing on the offensive side. If the Chiefs thought that they had Maulers and multiple pro bowlers up front, the Chiefs still have issues at tackle where, you know, surely Philly, like Philly even has the better line there. So how much do you think this game is won or lost in the trenches is there has like has any team been able to stave off that pass rush? Has any team been able to get through that offensive line? No, not really. <laughs> I <laughs> I was actually pulling up numbers as you were talking, Damon. I want you to think about this for a second. Joey Bosa, defensive player of the year, Hassan Reddick, not even nominated, not even one of the finalists. I can talk about that for the 30, 30 minutes as well. Joey Bosa during the playoffs, eleven tackles. Four TFLs, zero sacks, one quarterback hit, one fumble recovery. Hassan Reddick, eight total tackles, two TFLs, three sacks, four quarterback hits, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery. Now keep in mind, though Hassan Reddick has more of such and such and such categories and is just barely behind Bosa and others, Bosa had an extra game to play. (laughs) Talking about a guy who played two games and a guy who played three. Hassan Reddick by himself is a game record. Hassan Reddick, as far as I'm concerned, is a defensive MVP, and that's just Hassan Reddick. You mentioned Fletcher Cox. Fletcher Cox has quietly had the best year he's had since 2018, which was the last time he had a a Pro Bowl, and we forget to talk about that because we keep talking about how great Javon Hargrave is and Darius Slay and James Bradbury and things of that nature. When you can forget Fletcher Cox, who I believe for a long time was a Hall of Famer, but I'm beginning to think he might be damaging that to some degree by staying around too long. (laughs) Because <laughs> you're tacking all these bad years on the end of what was a great career. When you can forget about Fletcher Cox, you've done a lot of good things right. Josh Sweat has 
evolved into somebody who we thought could just be somebody rotational, somebody we were just praying doesn't get hurt, to somebody who's one of the key uh, components of this pass rush. Um, we forget about Jordan Davis, who was a top 10 pick, who, you know, basically has stuffed the run, but really doesn't really have many defensive sacks, if any. Like, no sacks, maybe a tackle or two here and there, but basically just pushes the pocket back and allows guys to, to create pressure. We don't blitz a lot from the linebacker position, linebacker position, excuse me, with the exception of Javon Hargrave, but we really hadn't needed it. It's not the way the game's played today. Um, those 70 sacks that you're getting with just the front guys allow you to go out and get 17 interceptions and things of that nature. It's not the style of defense that Philly fans want to see. They want to see blitzing. They want to see an attacking style of defense and things of that nature. But Jonathan Gannon is just like, we're just going to not give up big plays and we're going to try to get to the quarterback and things of that nature. And we're going to try to force turnovers and things of that nature. And that's work. The best defensive coordinator on the field during the NFC Championship game was not Demigo Raz. It was Jonathan Gannon. And it was just impressive for me because I was like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm going to say it like this, Matt. I don't think that I remember too many playoff games that aren't decided in the trenches. It's always a part of what we're doing in things that nature and things that are here. If we get beaten by the Kansas City Chiefs, it's going to be because of the offensive line. They're going to stop us from what we're doing as far as a pass rush, and they're going to push them off the line of scrimmage um, to, to create opportunities for their running game. If we win the game, it's the exact same thing. It's going to be because we push you guys off the line of scrimmage, and it's because we created consistent – and constant pressure on Patrick Mahomes that made him uncomfortable, if it's possible to make Patrick Mahomes uncomfortable. I don't know. I haven't seen that too often either. <laughs> but that's where the key to this game lies and things of that nature. It's not going to be Juju Smith-Schuster versus Brad Barry. <laughs> it's not going to be um, – what's the rookie running back's name? Isaiah Pacheco. Pacheco. Yeah, Pacheco is not going to be the person that determines whether this game is won or lost. It may be the Eagles running game. It may be the Eagles offensive line. Um from an offensive line standpoint, how do the interior of our line line up against Chris Jones is very important. But everything that we're talking about as far as what's important and what has to get done in order for the Philadelphia Eagles to lose or the reasons why we'd be talking about why the Philadelphia Eagles didn't win at the end of the day will be determined by what actually happens in the trenches. And that's why we build yeah. two trenches and things of that nature. That was Andy Reid's blueprint. Um, I don't think I see him do that as much as Kansas City, but he just brought that idea and that that theory to us that you always take an offensive lineman or defensive lineman in the first round. This is what you do. So um, that's paid off. Javon Hargrave is excellent. Very happy with him. Got a lot of decisions to make at the end of the season. Like I said, if you can forget about Fletcher Cox sometimes and forget about the fact that we need to say that this is the best season he's had since 2018, that's a loaded unit. So I'm very confident and um, we'll see what happens. Before we get into the injury side of things on both teams, because we want to get your perspective on some of the Eagles' injuries heading into the Super Bowl, we know how good they are overall defensively, the Philadelphia Eagles, but they can be beat running the ball against them. Is that because they get too aggressive trying to get after the quarterback? Is there a reason why? Is it linebacker play? What have you seen for there being a drop-off when it comes to getting after the quarterback versus stopping the run? Zone scheme and could be a little bit of impatience there, um, just wanting to make create big plays, things of that nature. What I saw with the Washington Commanders was the Washington Commanders attacked certain areas where there were guys missing or there were guys who they just didn't believe were good enough to get the job done against their running game. Um, to kind of counteract that, Harry Rose made the, made the decision to go out and get Linval Joseph and Dominic and Sue, and they've been key. Um, one of the other things that I actually noticed too was um, – there's just a tendency by this unit sometimes because 
though it can be a physical unit and things of that nature, there's a tendency to get fatigued. I don't know why, but there's a tendency to get fatigued very often and very quickly. The Washington Commanders took advantage of that. The New Orleans Saints took advantage of that. And um, even Chicago and some other guys took advantage of that to some degree. Um, the thing that I'm most worried about is protecting the football. Um, as bad as things have been as against the run from time to time, the, the, the thing that I think has been most key in the three losses has been turnovers. Um, not a ton of turnovers versus the New Orleans Saints, but a very bad one at the end of the game at the wrong time. Four turnovers against both the Washington Commanders and the Dallas Cowboys. So um, if they're not in a position to where they're putting themselves in trouble by creating extra opportunities for a Chiefs offense that we already know is excellent and um, worth the price of admission on every single Sunday, or in some cases Saturday or Thursday night or Monday, depending <laughs> on what the NFL is doing. Um, this is just this is a team that this is a team that I think can get it done as far as the running game. And I think some of some of what we've seen too is some of the numbers have been inflated because you just had explosive games by the Detroit Lions, the Indianapolis Colts here and there, and the Washington Commanders. So that's kind of exploded the numbers to some degree. But um, as far as consistency, it's probably not as consistent as we like to see, but They've done it enough to, to to allow us to see that they can do it consistently, and they've done it consistently since the start of the playoffs. Maybe not necessarily in the final finale against the Giants game, but that was vanilla on both sides. But it seems to have turned on and come around to where it needs to be at the right time. So very satisfied with what I saw in the division around the NFC Championship game. I hope we can continue that into the uh, Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, I, me- I remember when I was looking at some of those turnover numbers for the Eagles. Yeah, but I, I think they had like – nine games where they didn't commit any any turnover at all. I mean, like, they usually play pretty mistake-free football. Uh, and and then suddenly, like, I think they had, like, 19 turnovers on the year, and then eight of those were in those two games, like you mentioned, like having, having four apiece. It's like when the house of cards falls in, it, like, all falls in on these, like, very rare occasions. But most of the time, they're able to, like, you know, play the way they want to play. It's just that when it falls apart, it, it really seemed like, well, all the wheels came off on that one somehow in, in just a couple of shots. I I think the Chiefs are going to need some level of maybe the Eagles hurting themselves uh, in some of that way. But, it, you know, it's it, it's going to be interesting, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I hope it doesn't happen. Um, like you said, I think it's exactly what you said. The first nine games, they actually lead the NFL in turnover differential and things of that nature, and then – um, somewhere around the midseason to the end of the season, we're talking about the last eight games. It wasn't necessarily in that case. Maybe I misspoke on that. It wasn't necessarily a couple games here and there. They were just bad. They were just giving the football away. AJ Brown was getting it punched out. Uh, Jalen Hurst was putting the ball in harm's way. Things of that nature. And those things, as as well as some of the inconsistency we saw against the Dallas Cowboys on Christmas Eve, and then against the New Orleans Saints on New Year's Day those things are kind of what led to nervousness on our side as we started approaching the postseason and things of that nature. Cause it's like, we are turning the ball over too much. Like that's when those wins and things of that nature, it's like, they tell you a lot, <laughs> okay, we're still winning, but these things are issues now and stuff, but they seem to have corrected those that we've actually moved into the postseason. And hopefully they continue to do that. Um, Jeffrey, can you take us through like, like uh, Kansas city has a lot of injuries right now. I mean, like, Going into the game, Travis Kelsey had the back spasms and Mahomes' ankle were the two big talking points. And then we watched, you know, Kadarius Tony leave, Judas Mashuster leave, Legarius Sneed, you know, has a concussion, like on and on and on. Now it seems like there's a long list of the walking wounded 
with two weeks to go before the big game. I just saw good news about Landon Dickerson come out this afternoon um, that his hyperextended elbow should still allow him to play the game. But can you walk us as Chiefs fans through the, the biggest injury concerns for the Eagles and what that's going to mean come February 12th? There seemingly, and this is the fortunate thing, there seemingly aren't any. Um, the Landon Dickinson innocent the Landon Dickinson Dickerson injury, excuse me, that's hard to say. The Landon Dickerson injury actually was actually <laughs> the one that we were worried about in things of nature. That ended up being a hyperextension, as we learned today, uh following an MRI. Um Lane Johnson is playing with a tour abductor. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know exactly how he does it, but apparently they were gonna he was gonna skip surgery during the season, finish the season out, and he was gonna get surgery after the season was over. Well, apparently versus the New York Giants, he actually completely tore that tendon now. And now he feels better now that the tendon is actually torn all the way. <laughs> actually, the fact that they were still connected to some degree actually was giving him discomfort. And now that it's completely torn, he's fine. Um, the, the main one I would still worry about is Jalen Hurts. Um, Avante Maddox was one we were thinking we may not even see till the Super Bowl if then. He came back. He was available for last week. Uh, but he's always an injury concern. I love Avante Maddox, but he can get hurt putting his cleats on. Um, and then you have Jalen Hurts. Um, and I could be wrong about the numbers I have in front of me. I think that was week 15 against Chicago when the injury occurred. And then he set out 16 and 17 against the Cowboys and the Saints and was back for 18, if I'm not mistaken. But um, just based on what they were saying as far as the shoulder was concerned, the yeah. length of time to heal – we just kept looking at the length of time to heal and just trying to see what this meant as far as games and things of that nature and appearances. But what I walked away from knowing that was Jalen Hurst was never going to be completely healthy um, by the time we got to the end of the season. Jalen Hurst was going to play with some level of discomfort and things of that nature. And my concern is after what I just saw against the um, San Francisco 49ers is if maybe now after playing that game against the, the, the New York Giants, if maybe it's a little worse now for where – than it was before we entered that game. Because there were some ducks that came out. I'm not exactly sure if that was necessarily weather-related. He's always had issues with the cold, Chicago, and with wet balls and things of that nature. Used to playing in the South and things of that nature. But um, I'm hoping that was more of a case of wet balls, bad weather and things, which probably wouldn't be an issue in Glendale. But I saw some shot put shots as well. So, Mm. Jalen, I'm worried about. But entering the Giants game – with the exception of Devontae Maddox, the injury report was relatively clean. Um, entering the, the, the San Francisco 49ers game, injury report was clean. The only thing we were talking about was T.J. Edwards and an ankle, and um, that just limited him in practice. But seemed to be nothing that, you know, stopped him or his performance when we actually got the game time. But Jalen is okay. a concern, and I do believe that shoulder injury is a little bit worse than they're letting on. Okay. Sterling, I wanted to, I wanted to flip it to you real fast because I wondered who you thought, like, of the Chiefs wounded – or injured here, like which ones have you the most concerned? Like with two weeks, with just under two weeks, man, wide receivers. We'll just say that because the entire wide receiving core, if the chiefs have to roll out Marcus Kemp as wide receiver three, that's not ideal going up against Bradbury and Darius Slay. It's just not going to behoove them for a full game to get it done. That's too difficult of a task for them. They got it done. in what was, second half where you're leading, but man, that's going to be massive. No Juju, no McColl, no Kadarius Tony. obviously still looking for some updates. Uh, the, the most worried I would be would be McColl Hardman re-injuring what was already a brutal injury to him. 
that's not ideal. Um, I do want to switch gears very quickly and talk about special teams. I don't know how much you buy into DVOA. DVOA, I think, is a great tool by football outsiders, takes into account a lot of different factors, breaks it down. Special teams for the Eagles is 13th. What is your concern level with special teams? There's a lot of anger in Kansas City in regards to what they've done, but Harrison Butker in the playoffs is absolute nails. Tommy Townsend is one of the best punters in football, but the Chiefs have been getting beat on kick returns. Where do you land on the Eagles' special teams units? Let's hope on kickoffs that they can push those far enough to the end zone that those are touchbacks because there's always been a concern whenever anybody takes the ball and runs it out against us. I've seen guys take it out eight yards deep into the end zone <laughs> and bring it out against us and have success. But um, special teams is a concern, and I probably should have mentioned that when we were talking about um, some things earlier. But um, Brett Kerr, with Aaron Sipos's injury and everything, we went out and got Brett Kern, a former pro bowler and things of that nature. He seems to be shot. Um, I believe I can go out there if you give me a couple weeks. I can do some things that Brett Kern is out there doing. <laughs> I can boot the ball 35 yards. <laughs> I can do that. Um, so field position is definitely going to play a key role in everything that we're seeing. Um, I'm I'm very worried about him to some extent in the case that we're actually trying to flip field position, things of that nature. Anytime I see anything, maybe not as far as punt returns, I trust our gunners, but as far as kickoff returns and things of that nature, if Kansas City gets a big play, it probably will be because of special teams and everything. And fingers are crossed, I'm hoping that it doesn't happen. But we've seen it enough. Um, more consistently in the beginning of the year than lately, but still too many times lately to not ignore it. So that would probably be the one area in things in nature. And it's called three phases of the game for a reason. Sometimes we just think about offensive defense and we forget the special teams, but um, I'm hoping there are no big plays that come from Kansas City on that end. Well, um, we're, we're going to get into predictions here. You already gave us your prediction, um, but do you want to elaborate on that? Do you want to give us a final score? What do you think we're going to be looking at here when Super Bowl – wait, LVII. Is that right? Do I have those Roman numerals right? LVII, oh, you're right. There it is, right? <laughs> when 57 is finally done, what do you think we're going to see? Comparatively speaking, I look at what um, Cincinnati did, things of that nature, and I feel like this offense, when it's clicking, which it seems to be doing at this moment, this offense, when it's clicking, when it's not limited by play calling and Shane Steichen, they can roll out of bed and put out 31. So I'm gonna keep the I'm gonna keep the uh, our number at 31. And this is the Chiefs we're talking about. 27 seems to be easy for them. Um, though I doubt they'll be able to do against the Eagles defense what they were able to do against the Kansas City, the uh, excuse me, the Cincinnati Bengals defense. Um. I would probably put them at 27 because I would say three would probably tell me put them at 22, but give them an extra five points for Patrick Mahomes. So I'm going to say 31, 27 Philadelphia, and we get that second Vince Lombardi trophy. All right. All right. Dude, I wrote this down earlier. You actually can't see it. I thought you'd be able to see it on my notepad. I had 31, 30 Chiefs. You and I are extremely close, my man. <laughs> hey, <close laughs> <with> me. <laughs> You have 31-30, Sterling? Is that what you think? 31-30 Chiefs, yeah. I hope you're wrong, Sterling. (laughs) I hope you're wrong. Come on now. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, – it's hard for me to even make a prediction right now. Like, I I need to see injury updates for the Chiefs 
for me to really know how to like back up some of these things. I think the Chiefs have the best players on the field. I think that's Mahomes. He's better. I think Chris Jones is is better than anyone else on the field uh, on that side of the ball. But I think the Eagles positionally own the Chiefs like level by level. Like like you know like I think Travis Kelsey is better than any pass catcher. I think Mahomes is better than any quarterback. I think Chris Jones is better than any defender. But other than those individual like. How much do, can one individual or, like, you know, make a difference in a team game like that? And I think this is the ultimate example because the Eagles have the better overall weapons. They have the better trenches. They have the better linebackers. They have the better secondary. Um, and so, you know, taking all that into account, it just makes it really hard for me to, especially with the injuries, to, to know how that's going to go. As a Chiefs podcast, I'll be a homer. Uh, so, yeah, I'll you know, I'll go 28. 28-24, sounds good. We'll see how that goes. But, um, yeah, I, Jeffrey, I think you're right. This is just going to be a great game. I think it's just going to be a great, tough game between two teams that earned it all season long, uh, no matter what people have wanted to say about them to discredit um, you know, who they are and what they've done. Um, folks, if you're, if you're with us, by the way, a couple quick things. Um, one, we end every show with the must list. It's where we finally stopped talking about football for a second. And we just, at the end of the show, a free service to all of you listening or hanging out um, with us. We just like to recommend stuff that we're into for the week, um, whatever it is. Uh, let's bring our Richard, are you there? I'm here, gentlemen. Damn, there he is. Everyone loves Richard more than any of us, our esteemed producer. Incorrect. Um, it, it, I, I Debatable. So. Debatable. <laughs> And and since we have uh, a guest today, Jeffrey, we're going to include Jeffrey in on this week's must list. We just kind of take this however we want to go. Jeffrey, you want to lead us? You want to lead us out with anything you'd like to recommend? Listening, watching, reading, anything you'd like, whatever the category. Absolutely. And Richard, you were here for this. The birth of the brand new Inside the Eagles YouTube page. Now, you guys have asked us if Inside the Eagles fans are watching. You guys have asked us forever to create a YouTube page and to create a podcast. We have one. You watch, but you won't subscribe. <laughs> Stop <laughs> what you're doing right now. Go to the Inside the Eagles YouTube page. Hit the subscribe button while you're there and ring the bell so you can get all the notifications and everything. It's about a couple months old and everything, but we're fun, and it just adds another component to what we do and how we bring um, Eagles-related news to the guys on the daily and to the ladies on the daily and things of that nature. But we're having fun. You guys are watching, but subscribe. That's my recommendation. My favorite cheesesteak. Philly guy, come on now. You, you can't leave without this. Favorite cheesesteak. Cheese what steak, is it? But I need you guys to subscribe to the Inside the Eagles <laughs> YouTube channel <laughs> because you asked for it and you're watching, but you won't subscribe. I'm going to say that again. Subscribe to the channel while you're there. Don't just hit stuff and say likes and, you know, call me all kinds of negative things. Subscribe to the channel. <laughs> He didn't even take you up on the on the cheesesteak, Sterling. Yeah, I love the cheesesteak, cheese cheese but I need you guys to subscribe. <laughs> to the the correct answer is Delisandro's. It's Delisandro's. Yes, sir. <laughs> but is that where they found the cheesesteak? Is that where like where did the film? No, 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 no. You're, you're not going. If you're going to one of those spots, you're getting ripped off. As a guy who lived okay. there for three years, if you're going to the places where the the the, the cheesesteak was founded, those two spots, you're getting ripped off. Come on. So. I, I find those kind of like I find regional food things like really interesting. Like I've been to Buffalo. I've been to the Anchor Bar in Buffalo where they say like the Buffalo wing 
was like, you know, supposedly a first thing. And it was like no big deal there. But in Nashville, Nashville hot chicken, if you go to Prince's where all that is supposed to, that's like the real deal. So it just made me wonder about Philly. Is it the real deal to go, you know, where? No. Anyway. It's again, KC, for example, you go to Arthur Bryant's, Gage, Joe's, you're getting the real deal. True. You're getting the real deal. True. Uh, Sterling, what's on your must list for the week, my friend? So my voice was obviously a little bad because I'm sick. And so I was listening to another singer who has a very gravelly voice. Let me kill Maestro from Motorhead. So I was listening to March or Die, the Motorhead album from 1992. Bad Religion's on it. Hellraiser's on it. Uh, great <laughs> album. Great album. Uh, I didn't know he did a cover, a 30th anniversary of Hellraiser with Ozzy Osbourne. I did not know that. And that song with them combined is very, very good. And that's how I got into my deep dive of listening to Motorhead today. A little, little Lemmy. Can we hear? Can you hear it? Can you? Uh, you gonna give us a an impression of Lemmy? No, I, I'm not. You're. If you think I'm singing Ace of Spades right now, you're out of your gourd. Come on now. Come on, his throat's injured. My throat's injured. Yeah, what do you want to do? I played enough rock band to know how that stuff goes. Otherwise, I have I'd a Mahomes game, Sterling. Just, just sing it right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll go because I think Richard said he wants to go after me. Um, so I am what HBO. I love most things that HBO does. I, I play one video game every like two years and I got into the last of us. Have you guys played this game? Yes, I have. Sorry. Yes. I'm just nodding. Yeah. Thanks Richard. So I, I anyway, HBO is doing a whole series around the last of us, which has like Nick Offerman from parks and rec on it. A few other things. And they are nailing this. Like, I can't believe how good the show is. It's episodic. It only comes out. I think like they just came out with the third episode. It's incredible. Anyway, I don't know if anyone else is watching this, but I'm like geeking out, having a great time uh, watching the show. I can't watch it, man. Like I have, I don't know what this is called, but I have like this phobia of clusters. So these things that keep running out with these things all over their face and they just all too close together and stuff like that. Like I can't, I can't do that. Damn it. I just figured out what that was called yesterday and I already forgot. It's called tryptophobia. You got yeah, tryptophobia. I, mean, I, have that. I can't, uh, clusters yeah. bother me like ladybugs in the corner. Like, no. Nah. There's a thing about clusters. Like, oh, I, yeah. Yeah. Well, unless, are you talking about the holes? Cause that's what I'm spot talking about. That's, the it's the same thing the actually. Like you just have just, would you just have just too much of the same stuff together? Holes, just like craters and things. And that's fair. Like I said, these, these things that keep running out with these things on their face and everything. Yeah, that yeah. bothers me. Like I, every time I know that the trail is coming on, I don't watch it. What about you, Richard? Where are you at? All right. Uh, so I'm going to agree with, with Matt first. I mean, yeah, it's a great show. It's a great adaptation. And then that made me go, why is this being adapted so well? So I decided to watch, Craig Mazin's prior project. That's the, the the co-showrunner on Last of Us. I finally, four years late, I'm yeah. watching Chernobyl. It's so yeah. good. I watched yeah. like one episode and I was like, oh shit, I got to keep watching this. And I'm, I'm now four episodes in. I finished the, the one with the animals. I'll just say there's animals and it was awful. And I was upset the whole time. Uh, it's a great show. It's, so it's amazing. Well it's so well done. So well written. And I think that's why this Last of Us is turning out so well. So they got Craig Mazin helping write yeah. The, last, the first three episodes have been written by that guy. So I think he's just helping keep the show going in a path that works for TV and not for games. And yeah, I love it. And then, of course, watch Last of Us as, as well. I've told I've told anyone who will listen that Chernobyl may be the single best thing for television I've ever seen. It's just it's I agree. so freaking That's bananas. Real. So well done. There's no holes in that um, one, Jeffrey. Tryptophobia is what I have, Richard. Tryptophobia. They don't, there's no holes. There's no holes in Chernobyl. Tryptophobia so is what it's called. 
Do not watch the movie Holes. You will not like that movie. Man, I watch. I had to tune out of Jack and the Beanstalk. Like I'm watching Jack and the Beanstalk with one of my little cousins and stuff, and there's this giant, and there's this head growing out of his neck. Like, nah, we're not watching this. Uh, out. <laughs> I'm not. But we're not doing it. Uh, anything when you got like like Dexter and you see things crawling under people's skin, stuff like that. Like I'm not. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, we're not doing it. Yeah, no sir. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that one. Sterling, take us out of here. That was a good. That was a good time. This was the Arrowhead Addict Podcast. Matt Connor, Jeffrey. Make sure you follow Jeffrey Knox on Twitter at GQ underscore four underscore ever. Make sure you subscribe. I believe Richard's in the uh, in the description. Subscribe to the Phillies podcast that he hosts. It's incredible. Richard Eagles. You said Phillies. Eagle. Philly. It's Philly. The Philly. Philly. Come on. Come on. Matt. Right. We the Eagles apologize. My fault for Richard, the best producer in the game. I am Sterling Holmes. We'll be keeping you guys updated all week long. Uh, I'll be here tomorrow with Adam Best. Until then, we are out. American Giant makes the durable, comfortable spring closet staples you need for work, the gym, and even happy hour. Made in America. Designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20.